1: Ended last night's podcast with Dolly Alderton's plan that uh, men should be told that they cannot have children with people younger than them. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember? Which, by the way, should have been in the King's speech today, and I don't know why it wasn't because I've been mulling it all over, and it's not such a bad idea. But just as an illustration, that I mean, there's always been a theory, hasn't there, that whereas a lot of women give up or think life's given up on them, men have always got a glad eye. And always think it's worth having a pop. there is some evidence to suggest that might be true, so. yeah, so let 's just have a quick glance at the personal ads and let 's be honest. This is the lady we 're talking about here, which is a very respectable mag, and um, on the cover it's some um, details the contents, precious plants preserving the nation's flora. Princess Anne, the fearless royal. That gives you an indication of what we can look forward to um, inside. Anyway, in the personals, retired gentleman, early eighties. I mean, he's anxious to make that clear. Would like to meet a lady.
2: What age of lady do you think this gent is after? Well, I know because we discussed it earlier, but it's not a lady who can look him straight in his glad eye. No. <laughs>
1: He's he's looking out for somebody between the ages. I mean to be fair, he does have a twenty a twenty year span. A lady thirty five to fifty five. Um London preferable. No time wasters. <laughs> well, he's not got a lot of time left.
2: <laughs> so let's say he's eighty five. Well he's, he's early eighties. Let's say he's eighty five. <laughs> he's eighty eight, isn't he? And he meets a thirty five year old. Yeah. And I I would just ask that thirty five year old to just maybe have a think about that too, but no, it's not great, Jane. No. It's not great. And on the dating apps, that's one of the things that goes wrong. Is you know you can choose the age range of the people that you want to meet, and you just know from the people who then contact you uh, that you know they're in their seventies and eighties and they wanted to meet someone. 20 years younger than them. Whereas I just wouldn't have dreamt of saying, I'd like to just meet men who are 28 to 34. Yeah. I mean, you could say that. (laughs) You could have said that. But I didn't because I didn't want to meet someone with whom I couldn't share anecdotes from the same Olympic Games. I think that's a really important point. Yeah. I Just what would we talk about? Yeah. Because, you know, I want to share music. I want to share... TV programs what cultural references that make sense There have to be but
1: this is always the great mystery in relationships between older men and younger women what do they talk what about what do they actually talk about what is their what are their points of reference as you say
2: their their cultural wallpaper what is it yeah well it's not there so they're doing other things aren't they but Jan? they're not but
1: let's be also honest about that cuz they can't do other things 24 hours a day 7 days a week
2: Yep. No, even find, with chemical assistance. Yep, I find that so strange because if you just think about, so if you think about our friendship, it is absolutely fueled. Stop it! It's fueled by, uh, you know, references to the same people that we know, or things that we've done, or places that we've been. And even in our friendship, the age gap can be an issue. I was just about to say, yeah, yeah. but it's five years, four years at this time of year,
1: which. <laughs> It's very much my favourite time of year. Um, yeah, I remember the moon landings. Fee, I only just been born. Yeah, literally. No, you been hadn't born. been born.
2: No, February. I was born in February. Oh,
1: I always think it's October. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Really, obviously, I always think
2: I woke up in the middle of the night a couple of nights ago thinking, "Shit, I missed a birthday again." (laughs) So you gave me a really nice vase in February, and it wasn't cheap. No, just um, I might bring it back in and just give it back to me next February. Do you remember that terrible, terrible ad that you found in the back of Private Eye, which was an older man asking for a woman on HRT?
1: Oh God, I do remember that.
2: Yes, she had to be on HRT. She had to be on HRT.
1: I turn down anyone who's not on statins. I'm just not. I'm just not interested. I mean, but isn't that rude? Anyway, uh, there's so much to discuss. Now we wanted, slightly bizarrely, to have a brief word tonight about Barbara Streisand. Now this is <gasps> yeah. because she's got a new memoir that she's um, dutifully plugging. Nothing wrong with, with that at all. Um, she's not actually someone
2: I know a great deal about. Is she
1: someone whose career you've invested in?
2: No, so I I like her music, but I've always thought that she was a very, very private person, incredibly deliberately, and actually had that rather mystical kind of air of Hollywood privacy about her. Mm. So I'm delighted she's written a book, but it turns out that um, she didn't want to be quite so private. She wanted to have a bit more fun. Well,
1: this is where I think she's on slightly thin ice, bearing in mind that she's plugging her memoir. So she's saying, I've not had much fun. Buy my book about my life. I'm not sure those two things. I mean, she'd be better off saying I've had so much fun, you wouldn't believe it, and I'm going to tell you all about it in my new book out now. Um, no. Whereas I think Babs has been a bit too truthful, but she's currently married, so it's not a huge compliment to uh, the actor James Brolin um, to whom she is currently married. Um, that she's saying she's not had much fun it does sound as though
2: some some co-stars. But were they have been married for forever, have they? Are they? Forever Sweethearts isn't that a or late in life
1: marriage it might be a late in life romance I don't know
2: anyway um, talk about how she's got a great back oh gosh yes well the book lists the famous men who were infatuated with her what do you have a chapter on that <laughs> in your memoir Oh, more than one, I would have thought. (laughs) The actor Omar Sharif wrote long, passionate letters begging her to leave her husband. The king, that's our king. Yeah. That's our King Chazza. The king. Yeah, described her as devastatingly attractive with great sex appeal, Mm -hmm. uh, while Marlon Brando introduced himself by kissing the back of her neck. You can't have a back like that and not have it kissed, he told her. I think my heart stopped for a moment, she recalls in the book. What a line. I think it's a slightly pervy line. It's a bit weird and because I don't want to be... I don't want a man to just come along and kiss my back. I don't... I mean, they've got to... I, I need to see the... White's of that we're back to the Glad Eye.
1: Yeah. Would you make an exception for the late Marlon Brando? No.
2: No. No, I, I wouldn't but I, would I tell you, you what he was about the same height as us.
1: <laughs> there is that amazing picture of him in the leather jacket. I've got the right bloke, isn't it? Yes,
2: I think so. Yeah.
1: yeah. I know there's one of Steve McQueen as well, which is possibly the ultimate sexy man image of a certain era. he's around the time he did The Great Escape and Steve McQueen's sitting white t-shirt, leather Black jacket. jacket. Yeah. yeah. A stride on most Yeah, I think there's a similar one of Marlon Brando. Yes, I think you're um, right. In that film, what was it called? The oh, from here to not from here to eternity. That's Bert Lancaster. Uh, oh God, what was that film called? Wild, wild one. The uh, somebody will know. Help us, help It'll us come. Out. It'll
2: come to the menopausal brain. Just keep talking, keep talking, keep talking. Um,
1: well, I'll tell you one thing. I need to get off my heaving bosom. Yeah. And this is another. It's a joke being played out on the British public at the moment. When you go to the supermarket and there are small bags of what they have the audacity to describe as mixed chilies, Yes. And this has been making me rage for the last couple of weeks. They're not mixed chilies; They are seven green chilies and one red chilli in a bag for 90 pence. Sort it out. Right. What's the
2: name of that film? Well, hang on. I'm just making sure that I get the right The image. Wild One. The wild Thank you very one. much, Megan. I just want to... Hang on. I'm just going to get the picture. Have you got the plot of The Wild One? <laughs> What's it about? No, but... (laughs) Well,
1: that was him in later (laughs) life. I don't want to see that. God's sake. That might have been his ad in the back of the lady. Well, of course, he's not actually with us anymore. Right, can I just tell
2: you one final thing about about Babs? Yes. Uh, Well, uh, she got a little bit upset uh, at the uh, continued incorrect pronunciation of her name. How would you say her surname? Well, I
1: probably got it wrong. Streisand. So
2: it's dry Sand. Stry Sand. Like sand on the beach. How simple can you get, asks Babs. Oh well, I right? uh I And she took to phoning the Apple chief executive, Tim Cook, to complain that the iPhone was pronouncing her name wrongly. Uh, and he obviously took the call uh, and he had Siri change the pronunciation. And Babs says, I guess that's one perk of fame. So it's not been an entirely tough life <laughs>
1: I mean, that's a good story. Come on, don't be hard on yourself, Babs.
2: You've got she's, she's had a back kiss by Marlon Brando, and Siri correctly pronounces her name. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I might seek this book out. She's not actually on the show, is she? She's well, not one oh. of the few people who's written a book who hasn't been. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, give it enough time, Evil Booker. I would love to interview her, wouldn't you? Um,
1: well, I nearly did. Um, I went to Television Centre on a Sunday afternoon, must be about 15 years ago. Spent four hours waiting in a basement dressing room for Babs. She oh. never, never showed. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sorry, I've been promised 15 minutes with Babs. But, what would um,
2: your opening question have been? Um,
1: have you had a dull life, Barbara, or have you had <laughs> lots of fun? <laughs> No, I, I. Do you know what? I wasn't actually. I pretended to be really disappointed, but I wasn't that bothered because <laughs> the kids were quite young, and I just had a lovely afternoon sitting around, in, got some childcare, and I just read a book while I waited. Mm. And also yeah. the. And, and let's
2: call her a, a diva. I think that would be well, all right. We, we can. I think. I think she is a little notorious. <laughs> I in think that, so. In just a touch, yeah. 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 Uh, so the. Uh, they are so difficult, aren't they? And you do approach all of those interviews, I think, with quite a bit of fear in your belly mm. uh, that somehow you're just going to trip yourself up before you've even said hello. And and they're just, you know, they decide what mood they're in, don't they? they are, they're not swayed by you at all. So you probably got let off lightly there. I think you're probably right. But, I mean, it might have been that our eyes had
1: met and she'd just decided to... Throw James Brolin to one side, then that this was and what what the fun was all about. <laughs> the fun was right in front of you yeah. You just don't know, do you? Ah, okay. oh, parallel universes. Somewhere, because if we do believe that space is infinite, somewhere in the infinite universe, I am living in harmony with
2: Barbara Streisand <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in a in a remake. And indeed, of, so are you of, <laughs> of the film. It's now called Sliding Boards. <laughs> God. I talk about pleasing yourself. Right, this is
1: from, <laughs> <laughs> this is from Andre. Uh, <sighs> Jane of Fee, I've lived with tinnitus... <laughs> quite funny. I've, li- <laughs> I've lived with tinnitus for a number of years, and that isn't funny. It helps to dull the sound if I have the radio on when I go to bed. Your show, along with the archers, are my programmes of choice, although unlike the archers, you make me laugh out loud. Um, yesterday, Fee asked for pictures of dogs in coats. Now, I live... In the West Coast of Scotland, and often have a wet dog however my nine year old cocker spaniel Morag just doesn't like a coat. She tends to walk like she has wet her pants and feels very looks as though she 's feeling very uncomfortable as a compromise. She has a house coat um, which although not obvious from the photo, she absolutely loves. Andre um thank you very much for that and yes, I can see that in the photo, Morag is looking uh, well somewhat ambivalent about about the house coat, but as long as it keeps her safe and relatively dry, that is a good thing and Tinnitus is. An absolute pain in the what's-it. So um, I'm sorry you have to put up with that. Yeah. Um, That's really, really tedious in the extreme.
2: That certainly is, and I wonder what helps it, um, because uh, people, a a lot of people find very different things incredibly calming, don't they? Um, I remember a friend of mine saying that actually uh, there's something about the atmosphere deep inside a forest that really, really helped him. It was the only place that he could go... Where he, it didn't stop it completely, but there was something about the air pressure that just really diminished it. Isn't that weird? What do you and,
1: mean? So, it, because there was the sound of silent, total silence. So, I
2: don't know what it was him, because that was the bit that didn't make sense. Because I know that lots of people find some kind of relief in white noise, don't mm, they? So, yeah. you raise the level of noise and you simply can't hear your own tinnitus. But he absolutely swore by the silence of a forest and it being something. Uh, about the different air pressure underneath the canopy of the trees. Who knows? Really, it worked for
1: him. Okay, I'd love to hear from other people who maybe have found a way to get on with tinnitus. I do know that white noise, you know, the old static between radio stations, which isn't so common these days with digital radio, but. It's not there at all? No, that can help to soothe um, yeah. newborns, can't it? It's can like. It? Yes, it's okay. like uh, I tried it uh, in the old Moses basket. And. Um, mm. I think it did make a bit of a difference. Yeah, I think it can act as a soother. And do you remember Wayne Rooney? Um, well, he's not dead, darling. That's a no. bit rude, yes. Do you remember Wayne Rooney used to always sleep with the hairdryer on?
2: I didn't know this fact about him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I'm not struggling to remember why, why I know it. But anyway. Gosh, it was a noisy night, that. Okay. No, it's true, that. I but I honestly don't know where I read it. Anyway. right okay
2: um if you're thinking of going into journalism uh, my one tip would be check your sources we don't know whether or not that's correct but it's unlikely that he'll sue he's had bigger things on his mind recently so i think we've got away with it hello rebecca uh, now this one comes from jeremy who says uh hi jane and fee vardy by the way uh, yes, not the other. Yeah. I'm a long time listener, male aged 55, who's listened to every show since the start back on the other channel, brave man. I have my hair cut at a local Turkish barber and they ask if I want my hairy ears done, which they then burn off with a naked flame. Oh my God. Also, my wife and I used to live in Camberwell in southeast London, and a local beauty salon had a price list for a bikini line, small. Or bikini line large. It used to make my wife and I giggle thinking of someone being told that a bikini line is large. Uh, love the show. Love the show. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. That is quite odd. I, I've never. I've seen high bikini line, mm. and you know there are all kinds of fractions being used now, aren't there? A three-quarter bikini line and all What's that kind of three stuff. That's a three-quarter bikini line. Well, I think it depends entirely on uh, on. That your bikini waxing therapist and you to decide where the other quarter is. I don't really know, Jane. Grief. (laughs) I'm I'm more of a two sixths myself. Yes,
1: that's you are a woman who we know in recent recent past has changed her sheets. (laughs) So that's. Britain can relax. Uh, Sandra says, this is on the subject of weight, which we will return to in our email special uh, next week. Your discussion about weight and death reminded me of my mother in law's death. Um, she'd been a healthy, sometimes slightly overweight woman who very sadly died of cancer in her late 50s. Now, the cancer had caused her to lose a lot of weight. And when we were talking about this after her funeral, her weight had dropped from nine stone, Had her weight had dropped to nine stone from 13. One of her friends piped up, it wasn't like Pauline at all. And honestly, it always makes me smile when I think of this. Um, Sandra, thank you very much. I know what you mean. Um, sometimes it is, um, without sort of you know being really, really serious about this, sometimes severe weight loss is in no way a good thing. It's a really, really bad sign. And clearly your late mother-in-law was 13 stone in her real life and when she was with the people who cared about her and it was the cancer that made her drop to 9 and um yeah it's um i don't know i mean as i've said yesterday we just we just need to be sort of less cruel less cruel on ourselves and less harsh on everybody else don't we really yes um yeah. just let people be whatever whatever suits them and whatever they can do
2: but i tell you what there are some really amazing emails that we've had about this mm. and especially from people who've experienced uh what our original email was talking about from the daughter's perspective. So daughters who have felt that kind of scrutiny from their parents about their weight, Mm. and those are really fantastic. Uh, So that comes your way at the end of next week, doesn't it, the email special? Yes. Oh, I tell you what, we're a bit backed up, aren't we? We've got specials all over the place. Book club special, uh, November the 24th. Uh, This came in from Jane Matthews who says, I live in Sydney and I just went to a charity literary lunch last week. Ooh. Ooh, where Trent Dalton was the guest speaker. Wow. And speak, he certainly did. So he's the author of the book that we've chosen for this month. He had the audience enthralled. The lunch was to raise money via Bernardo's to help women who've been released from jail. And it's a topic close to his heart. It's also a theme in the book. Uh, he's articulate and doesn't hold back. He makes Jeffrey Archer look like a shrinking violet. I think he would be so tickled to know that he's your book club pick. And if you want to guess who polarizes, he's your man. Uh, So we are in contact with his publisher, actually, and we're just trying to fix the time that we can talk to him. And Jane goes on to say, I've been meaning to contact you over the months about different things. For example, Australia's PC answer to Barbie years ago uh, was a doll called Feral Cheryl, complete with underarm and pubic hair. Do you know what, Australia just just (laughs) ever ever stops surprising me. Don't go changing. i know so many janes and fionas here i'm a similar vintage to you that we have a jane and fiona club who meet for dinner every so often the best evenings you're invited absolutely fantastic well we're never going to get to australia are we i mean not unless i could only do it jane if i if i left in and if i did a, a journey across a year so I just went tiny tiny amounts across mm. the globe and even could you then, could I'm you cruise sure. there no, 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 because the things that happen on cruises, oh, I Jane, are well, terrible. There was a
1: terrible incident on a Saga cruise uh, overnight in the Bay of Biscay. <laughs> it doesn't sound, I mean? I would seriously. I think quite a few people were injured. Everybody's okay, I think, but um, nasty weather, and and they've had to come back.
2: Yeah. No, so, I couldn't I, cruise to Australia. No, no. Could
1: you? No. God. <laughs> I mean, I've only been on the Mersey Ferry three or four times. Um. What was I going to say? Oh, yes. um, Lovely. uh, This is going to um, annoy Kay, whose email I'm about to read. But there's a particularly lovely picture here of a dog in a coat. Um, I appreciate this is a little visual, but you'll you'll enjoy it just with the words. Trust me. It's from Lou, who says, "See attached a picture of my puppy Beans in his new rain jacket." Now, Beans is a name I can get I can get on board with. I love Beans. That name. Beans, yeah. yeah. He isn't a huge fan of the jacket, but needs must. I rather think it makes him look like he's ground crew for a budget airline, overseeing the loading of bags or similar. He's almost five months old now and entering his teenage challenging years, but I love him so much, and I can't imagine life without him. Look, He's a sweetie. There is Beans. He's absolutely gorgeous. Kay, on the other hand, says she understands the benefits of dogs and cats in relation to loneliness and for children with social anxieties. But, however, she says, there's a however here. I know so many people who've bought dogs and cats seemingly without any real thought and often regretted their decision as they found it limiting or because it's actually had a bad effect on their social life, or cost them lots of money in vets fees and other expenses. As other, other of your listeners have pointed out, it is possible to go for a walk without a dog, and you may even enjoy it more. I also do find that cat and dog owners will often dominate conversations, exchanging stories about their pets. It's boring for non-pet owners, and I suspect that other people's pets may not even be that interesting to other pet owners. Yeah, it is quite boring. Good point. And also, she says, on my street, there's dog poo everywhere. Kay, sympathy there. I cannot stand it. It's infuriating when stupid, irresponsible owners let that happen. Yes.
2: No more talk of our pets now. No, never, never, never. Should we talk about Monty Don? Yeah, So Monty Don was our guest this afternoon He's got a new book It's out in time for Christmas kids And it's simply called The Gardening Book uh, It's Monty very much going back to basics And explaining how to make a garden And actually it's a really good thing Isn't it because I find it a little bit Intimidating I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless gardener um, But there are some quite good gardeners in my family And I always think they're, they're just so far ahead of me With all their knowledge Jane I would never be able to catch up In a month of Sundays with a bank holiday thrown in?
1: I would, I would, it's another of my regrets in life, but I just can't, I don't really, I'd love to know more. Yeah. I'd love to devote time to it. But I went out into my, what passes for my back garden um, this morning because I was, I was um, uh, getting sorting out the, I'm just doing a little handles. I'm not sure what that charade (laughs) is. What were you, do- what I was, were you doing I, in your garden? I was getting the- <laughs> what? I was getting the hosepipe to give a thorough going over to the to the litter tray. Sorry, Kay. I've just mentioned the cat. Oh. You know, you and need to as well. Well, no, because she mainly we. She does poo outside these days. Okay, yeah. Kay will be riveted, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Uh, anyway, I was in the garden, and everything. It's a desperate time of year, this, isn't it, for the garden? It, it really is. is a time of decay. Yes. Yeah. Come on, let's get back on board with Monty. Yes. So yeah. anyway, this
2: is a book that um, that that he hopes will take away that kind of fear and the, uh, the ignorance that you think will make you a bad gardener. So if you don't know all the Latin names and the soil types and how the wind might affect your herbaceous borders, uh, this is the manual for you. Uh, it's also classic Monty. There are loads of very luscious pictures of Monty uh, with all manner of garden tools.
1: Can we just acknowledge that he is something of the older lady's fancy, isn't
2: he? He is. Yeah. Yep. If, he, if he were
1: a cake in a high-end patisserie... He'd be the older woman's fancy.
2: Yes. Oh, I think he'd be the very, he'd be the incredibly classic but beautifully made Victoria Sponge, wouldn't he?
1: Mm, I see him more as one of those um,
2: creme pat. <laughs> it's a <crème> pat. <laughs> he's a creme pat. He's a creme pat bun. He's a creme pat bun delight. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, the front cover uh, has him secateurs in hand, wearing a stunning selection of blue linen workwear, and he started by telling us the story behind that photograph.
3: I was walking towards my wife, who is off camera, and I won't say the word she was using because this is... For, for nice people, but she was basically <laughs> telling me to, F off, F off, go away, F off. <laughs> and that's why I'm laughing in that picture. Yes. Well, you are, you having <laughs> a right old chuckle.
2: <laughs> I mean, is that her greeting to yeah, you that, after well, 40 I mean, years normal. together? You, you have, have been married
3: a while. Years
1: 43 years, she's yeah. entitled to swear, right? are <laughs> She can say
2: whatever she likes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the book is absolutely beautiful, and I mean, it is stunning. Uh, some of the pictures, though, do make me laugh. I mean, it's gone a little bit Monty Don porn in places, Has it? hasn't it? Oh, there's, yeah. Some, yeah. there's some lovely, luscious pictures of you chucking goods around
3: at one point yeah i mean what we there's a sort of serious side to that because the book is aimed at people who aren't necessarily gardeners who don't watch gardener's world religiously and don't probably haven't ever bought a book by me or any other gardener necessarily the reason why it's called the gardening book is because we wanted people to say oh go and get the gardening book you know, because it could be the, the only one or the first one they got.
1: Is it a bit like Delia Smith's cookery series where she taught people how to boil an
3: egg?
0: It's and not, I mean that yeah, in a good
3: no, way. No, no, absolutely. And, and in fact, we talked a lot about food and, and how you learn to cook and what sort of cookbooks people use. Mm. And that gardening, the problem with gardening is gardening <laughs> in so much that you're expected to know about how to do it. And there's an awful lot of pretending to know about how to do things whereas not quite being sure what's going on. And there is a club that you feel that you join. You jump through certain hoops and you go up and you're allowed into another inner sanctum of gardening and so on and so forth. And part of that is quite enjoyable because you share things with people. But part of it's very inhibiting and intimidating. Yeah, I agree. What I wanted to do was write a book fundamentally for my children's generation. They're in their 30s. And... They're completely conversant with style and they travel and they eat well and they can dress themselves and tie their shoelaces and all all the things that, that clever people can do. But they just don't know about gardening. That doesn't mean that they don't want it or like it. They just don't know about it.
2: And is part of their reluctance, and I mean that's extraordinary isn't it, because obviously you have such a beautiful garden and gardening must have been in their lives, but is some of their reluctance because it doesn't just go like that, you know, you have to be patient don't you? Gardening, you
3: can't, it's a bit like learning a really tricky instrument. You just have to do, do it badly in order to do it a little bit better and have patience, and just accept that it's going to go wrong. That's, that's the first rule of all gardening, is it all goes wrong all the time, until it doesn't a bit. And then and you build on that, and you build on that, and you build on that. And the musical analogy extends, because I always feel that until you have to stop thinking how to do it, you can't really do it. And, and so with, if you're playing an instrument, if you're remembering where to put your fingers or what the time should be, you're not really playing the piece of music. Because you're not focusing on it. So when you're growing something, if you can just focus on the plant or what you want from it or how you feel about it, all those things, then it'll work. Whereas if you're like, do I do do this in April or in May? Or or where do I take the cutting? Is it above or below the node? What's a node? You know, and that sort of thing. Then that's going to inhibit the result can you learn to garden across
2: the four seasons of one year or no,
3: no? okay how how long <laughs> do you,
2: you think it takes what you can do what
3: you can do and what i hope the book explains is you can both make something that looks beautiful in your eyes and you can have a really good time and you can open doors in the space of one year and you know i've been gardening for over 50 years and i've got loads to learn and and I will have if I do it for another fifty years, God forbid. Um, so that's that's not the point. There's nothing. Learning isn't getting anywhere. Isn't the point. And and that's where another problem with gardening is somehow we'll let you go to Chelsea or whatever and you see a fantastic garden or you watch Gardeners World and and we've made it look as good as we can and it's taken three of us three weeks to prep it up for this one shot. Life isn't like that. Tell you know, television is television. It's not real life. And I think that. What I hope the book will give confidence to people is saying, yeah, it's going to be a bit messy and yes, it'll be muddy and the children will break the important thing and the dog will do what it shouldn't do and so on and so forth. But in amongst that is delight mm. and is beauty.
2: When do you think you got the proper gardening bug? Because I know that you started to kind of put your hands in the soil mm, as a very young mm. child, but you didn't kind well, of I
3: I Well, I was made to garden right. along with my brother's Um, we had a big garden, home counties. Uh, My parents had a gardener who then hurt his back and so therefore couldn't do it. And and in a sort of, with hindsight, very honourable sort of way, they kept, I think they kept paying him, but he he never came to work. Um, He was sort of basically permanently sick and he was a nice man. And so the obvious answer is, we did it. You know, you've got children, once we we could lift a trowel or, or, or mow a lawn, that's what we did. And we had to garden in order that we could go and play. So I gardened in order that I could stop gardening. That was the goal. <laughs> fin- do something in order you could finish doing it.
2: God, that uh, could have put uh, you off for life. Yeah, it could. Yeah.
3: It could. And it might have done. But when I was 17, um, I came home from school one day. And it's important to put into context, that at me at 17 was a very disaffected youth. You know, I'd been expelled from two schools. I had basically... It, it was not a good time, you know. Um, and one romanticises that, but it, the truth is it's an unhappy time. And I met, went out into the garden, and it was spring, and I remember very clearly preparing the ground in the vegetable garden, and by then I knew how to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I knew how to do it. And sowing some carrots, and, and, feeling, and just for no reason at all, I mean, totally out of the blue, feeling blissfully happy, just, just overwhelmed with joy. A kind of mystical experience.
1: Well, that sounds almost spiritual. Yeah, right, it
3: was. It? No, yeah. The, the, and it wasn't almost. It absolutely was. Yeah. And with hindsight, and I've studied spiritualism a great deal, and mysticism and Zen and things, it was the absence of desire because I had everything there was to have in that moment. It was complete, total contentment with what there was which was, you know, what I hadn't I looked for that. That wasn't what I wanted it, it was not looked for in any way. And gradually, I came to realise that my own sense of self and happiness uh, was bound up in the soil and bound up in gardens. But, I mean, it took me ages to translate that into a life. I mean, I mean ages, years, years yeah. and years, because... With my background, which was very home counties, middle class, middle England, you did not become a gardener. You know, you didn't go to private school and university in order to go and work in the parks department.
2: Yeah.
3: And that's pure snobbery. I mean, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't, but it was just pure snobbery.
2: Where do you think gardening is now in that kind of prism of snobbery? Well, it's
3: changed and that's fantastic. I think there are many more opportunities for young people now in gardening. Not nearly enough, but there are more. It's sort of socially much more accepted um i mean what's interesting if you go to italy or spain or france it's not at all it's treated like being a road sweeper or, or or whatever gardening is a very low class job whereas i don't think it is in this country and i think the other big change which happened since in my teens and 20s is whereas i felt like a sort of slightly subversive underground movement ho um it And luckily, Sarah, who I met when I was 23, she and I shared the same love of gardens. I mean, she wasn't a gardener then, but she loved gardens and she loved plants. Um, I had a companion. I had someone to share it with. But I didn't know anyone else, no one at all who did it. Whereas now I think people do. There's a network and, and, you know, schools engage with it more. And I think that... um, the RHS is much better at encouraging young people of all backgrounds and diversity. That has got a lot better.
1: Do you think Instagram has played a part in democratising the beauty of gardens and gardening? I mean, you're big on Insta, as I'm sure you know.
3: Yeah, um, I think well, it's a very good point. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think what's interesting about Instagram is that, you know, I will get, messages or meet people who say they follow me on Instagram from Brazil or from mm. Taiwan or, 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 you know, piece, bits of the world where you didn't know gardening was a thing. And I have I sort of have travelled a lot and I do know where it is and isn't.
2: So you did your series, didn't you, around the world in yeah. 80 Gardens. Was there any other country or climate that you thought, gosh, I could really garden the rest of my life in this one?
3: <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have, over the last six years... Been very involved in the garden in Greece, which a friend, a friend sort of out of the blue, inherited a house with a garden. And I said, What am I going to do? And also, I should do something extraordinary because this has come out of the blue and I, I should celebrate it. So I've helped her make a garden and, and sort of been there many, many times. And that's been a joy. I think I, w- I would really like to garden somewhere where it was less wet and less cold and less muddy. So I could easily adapt to gardening in the south of France or in Italy or somewhere like that. Um, I don't think there's any other nation that has a fraction of the sort of gardening culture that we have. Someone like Japan has a very highly developed gardening culture, but it's much more sort of... um, itemized and selectivized and and the rules are much tighter whereas ours ours is a much more general all embracing gardening Mm. culture
2: so why is that
3: why well it's interesting i mean my immediate response is that it's because we industrialized before anyone else and the switch from country to town or city as it was uh came much earlier basically in the 18th and early 19th centuries. So by about 1830, 1840, you had large cities with big populations, most of which had come not from abroad, but from the country. And they came with a rural agrarian background, but they had no outlet for it. So that at the first opportunity, they embraced it, whether it be the the rise of allotments or the growing middle class uh, that had villas with gardens. And there was a huge growth in gardening in the 1820s 30s and 40s uh, in a way there wasn't anywhere else in the world and that stuck that's come through
1: yeah what do you think about um class and gardening in britain now i know you've told you told the guardian mm. that you thought you would be the last white middle aged middle class big garden owning presenter of gardener's world do you do you really think that is true and that the bbc quite frankly wouldn't dare hire well, another,
3: I, another Monty. I think that I think there's elements of truth in all that. I think the BBC would think ten times before mm. hiring another Monty. Yeah. Um, I mean, what one would like is to feel they'd they'd hire the best person, whoever that was, mm. and, and not and regardless, you know, in a in a truly just and fair society, we wouldn't care what someone's color or race or, or or creed or sex was. But the truth is that it's much more delicate than that. And I think that. You, I'm absolutely persuaded that in order to include everybody, you have to open doors that either are or seem to be shut. And if a door is perceived to be shut, then it is shut, even if actually you think it's not. You know, I mean, I come from middle-class Oxbridge background. Every door is open to me and has been all my life. It's an incredibly privileged class. But if you'd asked me at any stage in my life if I was privileged, I would have said, of course not. No, no, I'm just like anybody else. You know? And that's just not true.
1: Well, so- when, when did you come to this realisation? When did you start uh- checking your privilege? <laughs> Which I believe is what the young people say. Is that what they say? Yes. Well,
3: I've, I've not had that experience before. Oh, I don't know. I mean, probably, I hope, quite a long time ago when I was, you know, probably. I left school with very bad A-levels, having just re- rebelled against everything went and worked on a building site for a year and then, uh, well, a year and a half, and then farmed farm for a year and a half. So I spent three years working as a navvy. Well, that was quite a democratic sort of experience, and I was treated no different to anyone else. I then went to night school and got myself into Cambridge. So when I went to university, to, to the sort of Oxbridge elite, I came through a back door, and I didn't know anybody, I was different to everybody, and so I felt an outsider. So I've always felt an outsider. So on one level i mean disingenuous. Actually, I feel like an outsider, and most of my life has been uh, sort of putting two fingers up at the world mm-hmm. to prove I can do it. Mm-hmm. So that sort of puts it into a broader context. But I think much more importantly, uh, we live in a world where, you know, I would like to see the main presenter of God World. world. I think there are women who could do it as well as any men that are around at the moment. I think that in general... Women make easily as good gardeners as men, so why don't they have the same opportunities? I think that it doesn't have to be one garden. It could be three people. It could be people, you know, from different ages. You could have someone who's young, someone who's very old. Why not have someone who's 70, 80 doing it? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of others around.
2: It'll be very interesting to see who they do choose, but you're not going quite yet. No, I, you're I not was going not to say,
3: you obviously know something more than I do. Yeah, no, sorry that. <laughs> <I, laughs> We're I after actually, an exclusive. Well, I'm contracted wanting. for another year yeah. anyway. Phew. And if they offered me a bit more than that, I might well take it. Okay. But... I mean, the serious point is, I will be seventy in two years' time. Sorry, I, express.
1: You it. don't look it. No, that's quite, we, didn't, we weren't <laughs> quite quick
3: enough there. That's
1: our age. I'm go, go again on that one. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Never.
3: I, I, I will. I want to go on. I like making television programs. I like writing books. Um, to have the energy to do that, and not Scrabble. Always that sense of Scrabbling. Um, I think I have to give something up. Mm. And I'm not prepared to give up writing. And I really enjoy the travel stuff I do. Uh, So therefore, the the logical thing to give up is Gardner's World, which is, for all its virtues,
0: a remorseless treadmill. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: Monty Don is our big guest today. We're talking fire pits, outdoor furniture, garden lighting. And I asked him if he could ever be friends with somebody who
3: has AstroTurf. First of all, we're desperate to latch on to these polarised views always, you know, AstroTurf. But the main thing I feel is AstroTurf is not gardening. You can, yeah, There may be a place in your life that desperately needs AstroTurf, but it's not the garden. The only thing that I would empathise with is if you've got two young boys, three young boys, hyperactive, desperate to play football, you've got a patch of ground outside which has becomes mud between the months of September and, and May, um, there is a kind of logic. So we'll put down a full surface so they can play. Um, and that's fine, and I have no problem with that at all. But it's not a garden.
2: OK, you've just relieved me of one of my great anxieties in life. Because yeah. actually, that was our story. Yeah. We had a north-facing bottom end of a London garden mm. surrounded by plane trees, and it was yeah. just a mud pit, and yeah. the kids wouldn't go in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. So we put the asteroid turf down, problem but, solved.
3: And and it's it, to me, that is no different to putting down a trampoline or a, you know any kind of... of artificial or temporary environment. There are two big problems with it. One, which is practical, which is that in order to put the astroturf down, you have to clear out the topsoil, and it because you're ex- excluding light, basically you exclude all life. And life under the soil is essential to life everywhere. I mean, it is part of life. It's like having sterile air or or sterile anything. And, and that's, a, to me, a completely... Um, abhorrent thing in terms of a garden. You can't have a garden with sterile soil. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, the other problem, really, is there's just too much plastic in this world. So you're adding to it. And we, you know, what do you do with your astroturf when it's used up? It's, it's just more bloody plastic. So if it could be a biodegradable surface, say, or something other than plastic, the principle of putting down a surface in order to stop the mud I don't know, people use coconut matting for cricket pitches or whatever, is not in itself bad or wrong. It's just the plasticness yeah. of it.
2: I've been absolved by the priest of gardening,
3: Jane. <laughs> well, uh,
1: temporary abs- absolution, <laughs> I would say. Does your BBC allegiance forbid you from commenting at all on government policy on climate change and things like that?
3: No, it doesn't. I mean, I can... I, I Obviously, I'm not wearing my BBC hat. I... I think, it, and it certainly hasn't stopped me commenting on things like peat, for example, which I have spoken out very strongly for a long what's time.
1: Your, what's your take on it? My take
3: on Pete is that using peat is, is both unnecessary uh, and completely vandalistic. And it's it, Still on
1: sale, though,
3: isn't it? It is. For, it's on sale, retail, to the and it goes off sale next year. Quite when next year, I'm not sure. Mm. However it is still going to be available wholesale and it's going to be available to growers. And as a, an awful lot of peat is used on wholesale, it, it's actually not... The government has fudged it completely. And I they, I was an advisor to the government about drafting the bill about it. So, not that it did me or them any use, but but, you know, I did work with them about it. And... There's a very strong lobby, a commercial lobby using beet. There's no reason for it. I mean, it's completely inexcusable. And its its con- contribution to climate change is unarguable.
1: And the impact of climate change on your garden in Herefordshire, mm. what, what is the most glaring example of it?
3: Extreme erratic weather. So, in other words, if you'd asked me that question 20 years ago, I said we're going to have a Mediterranean summer, Mm. we're going to have warmer, wetter winters, and that's the way, and so therefore we should be planting rosemary and we should be planting lavender and so on and so forth. It's not as neat as that. I mean, for example, when I left home yesterday, the fields around us were all flooded. Yeah. Um, And that's becoming more common. The floods are getting higher. Um, But also, last winter, we had minus 18 degrees. So you get this, which, which is really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the summer, we were up to plus 40. So we had a shift of over 55 degrees in the space of six months. So we're getting this extreme erratic weather, which you can't really cater for. And if you know, anybody tells you they know the answer, they don't, haven't understood the question. It, it's, it, we are just monitoring and just accepting that we have to change. My own gut feeling is that it's becoming less and less viable to grow plants that need a lot of artificial protection, whether it be from heat or from drought or, or whatever it might be. In other words, we and I've been doing a lot of travelling this summer and filming in Spain, where they're growing in much harsher conditions, and they're adapting. You're just adapting, and we have to learn from that. And we have been spoiled. Britain has the best climate of any in the world for gardening. So we take it for granted. As I was talking to someone in Spain the other day and they said two interesting things. The first was the trouble with British gardens is it's, they are ruined by your plants. <laughs> what they meant was is we can grow so many plants that we actually forget about editing. We forget about design. We just chuck everything in. You know, it's, and that's number one. And number two is that we just have to accept that you look around you, what is growing, and just limit it to, to, to what will survive. And because we've been able to grow anything we want, they say, well, you're like billionaires going into Harrods. You can buy the whole thing. I'll buy the shop. You know, I'll buy, a, have whatever I want. And that's how we garden. Mm. I'll grow anything.
2: But given that we are a nation of gardeners, and there's something of the soil in our national mm. soul, uh, do you... Do you get quite frustrated that that doesn't translate into people being angrier about what's happening and the fact that their garden might be denied to them much sooner than they thought?
3: I get frustrated with government. I, I think there's enough anger in the world without wanting any more um, at every level. I actually think I wish people were a bit more educated about it and that's you can't usually blame someone for not being educated it's usually the fault of the educators whether it be the government and feeding into our system whether it be schools or whether it be just general um general sort of perception that you pick up
2: but do you put it onto gardener's world i mean you could do a, a, you know a very scary this is the plant that you can't have in your garden anymore well i have
3: been saying that happened. i mean and for example I'm um, you know what I've, i said at the beginning of this year was that i wasn't going to protect plants like bananas anymore uh if they die they die Mm. Um, and see what happens. They may not die. Um, th- there's an element of not frightening the horses about Gardner's world. That, that, so I can see the producers thinking, "Oh my God, what's he going to say next?" Uh, and every now and then they give me a little talking to. Okay. You know, we're going to be raising this subject. Um, we need to be fair and balanced about it. And, uh, and you you know. Know.
2: Jane and I have had that BBC talking to you on the course. Jane much more than me. <laughs> Monty Don and his book is simply called The Gardening Book and it's lush, isn't it? It is, actually. It would make a really lovely gift. Do you know who it would make a lovely gift
1: for? A young couple setting up home together. That's a nice idea, Jane. Do you know any of those? Suffolk gent <laughs> seeks mature lady. Oh, mature lady.
2: Are we back to the
1: lady? <laughs> we're, we're just casting a little eye over the personals. What's this? Oh, hang on. Mature, <laughs> mature lady required. Oofie, male thirty-six requires a mature lady in her sixties oh, or seventies. <laughs> oh, no, no. What for? <laughs> Doesn't well doesn't specify just to tidy up some cupboards oh my goodness something. no strings
2: attached <laughs> oh lordy <laughs> so you see it can work the other way <laughs> well that has completely disproved all of our theories jane it and everything bad. that we talked about in the podcast everything the last two i've days. fought for all my feminist life oh, i tell you what it's tempting to write back to that isn't it
1: <laughs> unfortunately it's the northwest Oh, no, it's not tempting at all. (laughs) You wouldn't be remotely interested. I think I need to calm down by sitting in a small space and reading about Anne no ordinary princess.
2: Right, well that's your fun time evening. Uh, I'm going to go back and just lie down on my still very, very clean sheets. Uh, We will talk again tomorrow. It's Jane and Fee at Radio. if you want to join in with this bunkum. Uh, And don't forget that you've only got two weeks to finish Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. I need to hear that message as well. Yeah, you do need to hear that message, sister. Um, But don't worry uh, if you don't finish it because you're still obviously uh, entitled to have a view. No,
1: you are. And still to come this week, Jilly Cooper and Casta Semenya. And um, you haven't read the Jilly Cooper book, um, but you have read others of hers. And I think it is okay to say, Jilly Cooper is 86. I think we should, we should get that out there. Um, she's, um, there have been some pretty big shifts in thinking since she
2: wrote some of her, some of her bestsellers. sellers. Yes. And so we will go there during our interview and we will discuss how tackle fits into the modern canon of literature.
1: It's, can I just emphasise yeah. this? There is an exclamation mark. It's tackle! Tackle! Yeah. Is that better? Oh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. OK, that's tomorrow. Have a reasonable evening. Goodbye. <laughs>
2: Money bank.
1: I know, ladies lady. A lady listener.
0: I'm sorry. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day. All for just five dollars.